Hey, greetings Simi Church. This is Prakash from Kolkata, India. And uh, this is just to give an update about what's happening in Kolkata as well as in India. Uh, we are, uh, our country is on lockdown for the last uh, one month. And this is something that can go on till maybe till the month of May, middle of June. Uh, so that's where we are they uh, pray for us because one of the things is we have been having uh, church service through zoom through YouTube live uh, so that has been something good studying the Bible with people on YouTube uh, on zoom and Bible discussions uh, we're having a lot of visitors join us so which is encouraging uh, because people are free they're at home uh, so we are connecting which is great but on the other hand, also because of this lockdown, our economy is not that strong because many of our disciples uh, on daily wages, so that's a challenge for them. Some of them, they might lose their jobs. Uh, some of them, their employer already told them they might not able to pay the salaries for next month because there is no business. So there is that insecurity, what's going to happen. Uh, as a church, we're trying our best. We're trying to move make sure that uh, disciples and people that we know uh, do not uh, go hungry so we from a benevolence we buy a food stuff or send some money into a bank account a small amount it's basically twenty dollars twenty five dollars per family so that they were able to go and just buy some basic food grains some rice some lentils some oil just so that they can at least have if not three meals at least uh, two meals or one meal proper meal a day so that no one goes hungry so that's the update over here uh, please pray for us because we do not know our i know that uh, uh, the u.s churches and the u.s is also in the same situation uh, but we definitely need you to pray for us uh, joyce and me we have very fond memories uh, of our time in uh, Simi, uh, we felt very loved, we felt very taken care of and uh, we just uh, pray that uh, you will keep us in our, in our prayers, uh, keep the Calcutta church in your prayers, keep the Indian churches uh, since we do not know how long this lockdown is going to happen and uh, we pray that this whole plague that is around the world will be God will destroy it and uh, that God's name will be glorified. Uh, we love you guys and continue to keep us in your praise that in spite of all these things that the, the gospel will be preached powerfully and many people will come to know Christ in India as well as in the US. Love you guys. Thank you. Thank you for your support and for your Collins and welcome to Simi Church. Our mission is to love God and neighbor one household at a time. We are a group of ordinary people 
who believe in the extraordinary message of Jesus Christ. So no matter who you are or what your story, I'm glad you're here. You may notice that I'm outside our normal meeting facility. I'm here because I want to remind you that very soon we're going to be able to meet together in person and enjoy some great fellowship. I also want to thank everyone last week for celebrating Easter with us. And I really want to thank those of you that turned in videos uh, that I could show during the Easter service. It was so great to see your faces and to know that you're doing well. Today, I want to return to our series, One-on-One -on -one with Jesus. And I want to take a look at a conversation that took place between Jesus and some guy in a tree. As always, the goal is to draw out something relevant to our faith and life for today. So Simi Church is a part of a larger fellowship of churches called the International Churches of Christ. And as such, we have churches, as the name implies, all over the globe. I have had the fortunate uh, opportunity to visit some of those churches around the world, just a couple. And a few years ago, I made my visit to Moscow. Incredible city, incredible church. While I was there spending time with the ministry staff and many of the members, they shared a story with me that had happened a few years before I had arrived. It was a story about several members of their congregation, a group of men in a small group, decided that they wanted to spend some time in prayer and in, in Bible reading and even singing together. But they wanted some privacy, so they decided to go out into a wooded area. And they went fairly deep into the wooded area where they knew no one else would be and they would have total privacy. There they began to sing they began to read scripture, they began to pray, and they could be as loud as they wanted. And they really were enjoying themselves when out of the blue, a guy literally crawled out of the tree that they happened to be under, came down and asked if he could join them. Of course they did. And afterwards, in talking to, know him, talking to him and wanting to get to know him, they asked him, what was he doing in the tree? And he said to them that he had gone to that tree earlier in the day because he had planned to commit suicide. But while he was there, you guys had showed up, and as he watched and heard what they were saying and the singing, even though it is Russia and it's mostly atheists and he wasn't a believer at the time, he was so impressed with the love and the fellowship and the connection that he wanted to join. And so they let him join. You know, the great news is that a few weeks later, that, that same guy was baptized into Jesus Christ and is a faithful disciple today. Now, I don't know how common it is to run into someone in a tree. But apparently, it happens from time to time. And it happened with Jesus. I want to say a prayer, and we're going to turn to Luke 19. Father, it is so great to be together this morning. I'm so encouraged by our church, and their integrity, and their faith, even through this difficult time. I pray that you are with us. Help us to feel connected and bonded to one another, even though we are distanced and God, I pray very soon that we can come back together again and enjoy some great in-person fellowship. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. So we're nearing the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. For the past three and a half years, he had crisscrossed all over Palestine, 
telling people to repent for the kingdom of God was near. And on this occasion, he is making his way towards the city of Jerusalem, which is what, which turns out, is, as it turns out, is going to be his final time. Now, the road he was on was the main road that connected northern Palestine with southern Palestine. There was Galilee in the north, and there was Judah in the south. And Jesus was, had left Galilee, and he was making his journey from Galilee down to Jerusalem, and he was on this road. Now, at points along the way, this road could be very dangerous. It was steep. It had lots of turns, and there were secluded sections where bandits often would lie in wait. As a matter of fact, this is the same road that Jesus had in mind when he told the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, along the way, there were several small towns and villages where travelers could rest and resupply. And it was in one of these towns where Jesus had recently encountered what we, who, who we call the rich young ruler. This was a young Jewish man who was very successful. And on the outside, he was the ideal Jewish believer. I mean, he was righteous, he was faithful, he obeyed the commandments. But in one short interaction, and this will be a one-on-one that we're going to look at another time, Jesus exposes that what was really in his heart was a love of money. And as a result, he was unable to accept Jesus' message of repentance. Now, as in the other towns, When Jesus entered Jericho, he was immediately swarmed by crowds of people. And they formed sort of a large mass of humanity that surrounded him. And I like to, you know, want you to picture in your mind's eye for a minute, hundreds of people, maybe even more, just surrounding Jesus, like a lot like a celebrity who goes out in public today and and you just see people swarm around them. And then, and as that person makes his way to wherever they're going, as Jesus was making his way through the center of Jericho, this sort of mass of humanity kind of, kind of moved along with him. Now Jericho is not only the lowest city altitude-wise in the world, it's also the oldest city in the world. Its roots go all the way back to the days of the Pharaoh and maybe even before. It was also the home to as many as 12,000 or more temple workers. We're talking about priests, scribes, teachers, etc. As Jericho was only about a day's walk from the temple in Jerusalem. So this crowd that surrounded Jesus as he entered into the city was made up of some very religious and God-fearing people. Which brings me to Zacchaeus. He was a, Luke tells us he was a relatively short man and he was wealthy. Now you would think a wealthy man would have some clout, that he would be able to make his way through the crowd and, and have a, a personal audience with Jesus. But he was unable. You might think that as a short man, he was able to get through some of, the, some of the spaces between people and be able to have his audience with Jesus, but he was unable. Did I mention that he was a tax collector? And not just any tax collector, but that he was a chief of tax collectors, which meant that he had tax collectors who reported to him. Now, taxmen, as you and I know, have never been very popular throughout history. But in Palestine, in Jesus' day, they were downright hated. They made their living by taking a percentage of the taxes that they collected from their own countrymen. The more they collected, the bigger the payday. So it was not uncommon for tax collectors at this time to collect more than was actually required so they could have a bigger payday. As a result, they engendered a lot of animosity, a lot of hatred, and they were often labeled traitors to their own people. 
So it's no wonder why in Jericho, of all places, this man was not able to push his way through the crowd to see Jesus. There was just no room for him, and they were not going to allow him any room. And so being resourceful, this man runs ahead of the mob, and he tries to get to a place where he can get into an audience with Jesus, but he's unsuccessful. So finally, he sees a tree, and he climbs it. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. You know, the image I have in my mind's eye of this scene is of a golf tournament, maybe one of the majors, where there's large galleries of people lining the fairways. And the golfer hits, a, hits an errant shot. He misses the fairway and it lands in one of the galleries. And as he approaches his, his ball, the, the crowd seems to sort of open up and allow him space to go in there and to set up with his ball to play his next shot. Only in this situation, it wasn't a golfer in his ball, it was Jesus and this man named Zacchaeus who happened to be sitting in the tree. The crowd is there, it has surrounded them, and they're all interested in what Jesus is going to say to this known traitor as he sits in a tree hoping to get a glimpse of Jesus. The first thing he says is, Zacche is his name. He says Zacchaeus. And then he tells them to come down, and he says that he must stay at his house today. Now, I don't want to spend much time talking about how Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name, because after all, Jesus was the Son of God, and it wouldn't have been all that easy. He knows everybody, I mean, all that difficult for him. He knows everybody's name. But you know, it's also possible that Jesus had prior dealings with Zacchaeus. I mean, after all, he traveled through Jerusalem countless times throughout his entire, I mean, through Jericho countless times throughout his life. It's also possible that as he made his way toward Zacchaeus, someone in the crowd may have mentioned his name. That's not what's so significant to me. What's significant to me in the story is that Jesus said, I must stay at your house. He spoke as if it was imperative. It was a have to, almost as if it was meant to be. You know, of all the people that Jesus could have invited himself over to their house for dinner, he chose the one guy who wanted to see him so badly that he was willing to climb a tree. You know, I want you to do me a favor right now. Go outside and climb a tree. You didn't do it, did you? Why not? Well, my guess is because climbing a tree, at my request, is not a very compelling reason. And you know I would agree with you. But what is a compelling reason? But what is a compelling reason? Would you do it if you knew Jesus would see you and invite himself to your, to your home for dinner? I think probably all of us would. Would you do it if you knew he'd see you, but only wave at you as he passed by? Probably. Would you do it if you knew you'd only get a glimpse of him and he wouldn't notice you at all? I think so. But how about if there was zero chance that Jesus would even pass by at all, that somewhere along the way he changed directions and missed you altogether? If you knew that to be the case, would you climb that tree? And my guess is probably not. I feel a little bit like Dr. Seuss right now. Would you, could you climb a tree? Would you, should you, just to see? My point is this. Zacchaeus had no reason to think that Jesus would even notice him, let alone invite him over to his house for dinner. But he climbed that tree anyway.
You know, maybe that's why Jesus had to see Zacchaeus. Maybe that's why it was an imperative for him. Maybe that's why he went, maybe that's why he went and got him as if he was on a mission. You know, it's been my experience that if I'm willing to climb a tree, even if it's in just the hope that I might see Jesus, not only will I see him, but he'll call me by name and he'll invite himself into my home, into my own life. So now let me ask you a question. Will you climb that tree now? Let's look at the next verse. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. You know, back to my golf tournament analogy. After the crowd goes through all the trouble of making room for the golfer to find his ball and hit his next shot, if he hits another bad shot, there's usually a lot of muttering that comes from the crowd. And that's basically what happens here. The crowds went through all the trouble of making room for, Je for Jesus to be able to talk with Zacchaeus up in a tree. And after hearing Jesus invite himself to Zacchaeus' home, they thought he made a bad choice. Remember, a lot of these people in this crowd were very religious types. They were employed, employed at the temple in Jerusalem, and they considered their home almost as sacred as the temple. So for them, to enter into the home of a sinner like Zacchaeus, or to have a sinner like Zacchaeus in your home, was second only to sinning like Zacchaeus. Now seeing their reaction, Zacchaeus jumps out of the tree, or maybe he falls out, because the text says he had to stand up. I don't know what happened. And he announces that he will give one half of his possessions to the poor and that he's willing to repay anybody who he may have cheated four times over. You know, for the longest time, I have believed this story to be about repentance. And maybe you have too. But as I examined this text deeper and gotten more closer to it, I think I found a different meaning. I think that this story is not so much about a repentance as it is about acceptance. In fact, nothing in the narrative in Luke's account indicates that, that, that Zacchaeus needed to repent. After all, it's not a sin to be a tax collector, nor is it a sin to be wealthy, or is it a sin to be short. Nor does Jesus even tell Zacchaeus that he needs to repent or calls him to give up his wealth like he did the rich young ruler. But unlike the rich young ruler, who easily made his way through the crowd. They made play, the, 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 his, fellow, his fellow villagers made, made, made room for him and he was able to go up and, and have a one-on-one -on -one audience with Jesus. Zacchaeus was prevented from doing so by his fellow countrymen, his fellow Jerichoans. You know, it seems to me that Zacchaeus was marginalized by his own community for no other reason than being a tax collector. You know, maybe that's why he said that he would give everything to the poor, half of everything to the poor, and that he would pay back anyone that maybe his employees had cheated. I don't think Zacchaeus was seeking forgiveness, that he was saying he was repenting. I think what he was saying is that he deserved to be accepted into the fellowship like anyone else. Because the truth is, he was not a sinner like every other tax collector. As a matter of fact, he was if I can say this, 
a good tax collector. He was doing people in his community a benefit by not cheating them and by being generous to the poor. Yet they still ostracized him, they still maligned him, they still rejected him because of his occupation. You know, maybe that's why Jesus said what he said next. Verse 9. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus uses the word salvation. And in our eyes, in our minds, that word usually refers to us, a person's relationship with God, that they are a sinner, they're separated from God, and they need to be saved and put into a right relationship with God. But I don't think that was the context or the meaning of that word as Jesus used it. As a matter of fact, that term, salvation, could also refer to Zacchaeus' restoration to the larger community of Israel. That he would go from being in bad standing among his countrymen to going into good standing with his fellow countrymen. You know, I think that's made even more evident by the fact that Jesus said right after this, this man too, talking about Zacchaeus, is a son of Abraham. You know, it seems to me that the emphasis here is not on Zacchaeus being restored but to God, but him being restored to full member status in his own faith community. That's what Jesus was restoring Zacchaeus to in front of all Jericho, or many people in Jericho, to witness. Now, Jesus goes on to say that this is why he came. He came to seek and to save the lost. Not only the lost who are outside of the faith community, the non-believers, but also the lost, who sometimes exist within the faith community, among the fellowship of believers. You know, I have to admit to you that I've been guilty of rejecting, of not accepting fellow believers maybe based on their outward appearance, maybe based on their behavior, maybe based on just something about them that I don't like. And the truth is, I think our church has been guilty of it too. We have marginalized certain people, even though they're believers. But as I reimagined this encounter through that lens of acceptance rather than repentance, that Jesus was actually speaking to the crowd as much as he was speaking to Zacchaeus. And he was saying, this man too, is a believer. I gotta be honest, I was moved to tears because immediately in my mind, the faces of a few people that I know I've done this with too came to mind. I saw them. I know of two off the top of my head, and I'm sure there's more who love God and neighbor. They believe Jesus is Lord. They've even been baptized in his name. But because they didn't come to faith the way I came to faith, or they didn't practice, or they don't practice faith like I think they should practice their faith, I've overlooked them. Worse yet, I sometimes don't even think of them as one of us. You know, this may seem fabricated, but I'm telling you the truth. I was moved to tears. And so you know what I did yesterday? 
I got on the phone and I called those two people. I called them. And I'm sure I'll have to call others as they come to my mind. But I confessed to them my sin. And I apologized to them. Here's my ask. I want you to be aware of the Zacchaeuses in our midst. They're there. There are people in our family of churches, in Simi Church, who've been marginalized, who don't feel like they're a part of our greater community. If in any way you participated in treating them that way, I want to ask you to know them by name and to make sure that you let them know they belong. You can do that now. You don't even have to wait till we are back at our meeting facility. You can do it like I did and call them. But there's a second I ask of you, a second thing I ask of you. I want you to keep your eyes open for any future Zacchaeuses. They may not be believers right now, but are you making them feel welcome? Or are you hindering their ability to see Jesus? You know, I am so grateful for the brothers in Russia who when they went out to pray that day and that unknown person climbed out of the tree and asked to join them, they let him in. And even afterwards when they found out that he was troubled and was having issues, they didn't judge him, they accepted him. And you know, he's your brother today as a result. Let's be the kind of people who accept the Zacchaeuses. Thank you very much. At this time, we're going to pray. For the next couple minutes, I'm going to ask for you to, to reflect on the lesson today and bring it to God in prayer. After the two minutes are up, I'm going to come back and I'll close us out with a word of prayer and we'll be done. Mine is the morning, born 
Father God, thank you very much for the story of Zacchaeus and the one-on-one that he had with Jesus. Thank you that Jesus notices those who are not accepted, those who are not in the, in, 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 given full status in the family of God, whether they're in the family of God, on the fringe, or whether they're outside of the family of God. Thank you that Jesus loves and cares for them and wants them to be saved. Help us to have that heart of Jesus and to care for those who are marginalized, who are on the fringes, whether they're disciples, whether they're believers, or whether they are soon-to-be believers. Help us as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, as members of Seeming Church, to be the kind of people to roll out the welcome carpet for them and let them know that they belong. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, at Simi Church, we believe that the Bible is the best source of truth in our world today. In it, we learn that Jesus is Lord, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on a cross and rose to life again. It's in this belief that we do everything. We are a member-supported church by people like me. You can give today or online at simichurch.org or by texting keyword Church to 77977. I also want to encourage you to take some time today and commune with God. All you need is some unleavened bread like matzah and a small uh, uh, glass of grape juice or wine. As you, as you eat the bread and drink the wine, I want you to pray and remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lastly, we want Simi Church to be your church, your family's church, and your neighbor's church. If you'd like to know more, please message me through YouTube or through our website, seemechurch.org. I want to thank you for joining us today. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless. Been holding on for too long, singing the same, those same songs, putting me behind the misery. It's all for me. Been holding on for too long, but now I've got nothing to hold on. It all just sounds like.